Good morning again. You know, I walked into the living room this week and caught my wife and my son Caleb memorizing Romans. I think they pretty much have the salutation down. I just encourage you as we work slowly through this book, there's something you might want to do. So if you would, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans 1, I will be reading Romans 1, verses 5 through 7. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the reading of the intentional, precise, infallible, Holy Spirit-breathed Word of God to our hearts and souls. Father, help us see and believe your extraordinary love and grace to us who believe. And any that don't, show it to them that they would come into this experience of your wonderful, eternal, Love through Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we continue through verses 5 to 7 of Romans 1 this morning, the questions that this passage should leave us with are these. Have I been called to belong to Jesus Christ? Am I one of those who is loved by God and called to be a saint, meaning separated unto Him, pulled out of this world for Him, a holy one set apart? Is there obedience to God in my life that flows from my heart of faith in Jesus that gives evidence that I do belong to Jesus? These are valid questions because they come out of what Paul assumes a Christian is in verses 5 to 7. Now, last week, we just 
dealt with verse 5. And what we saw last week was that in the preaching of the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation of sinners' souls, that that preaching with those who are being saved brings about saving faith in them, which then it resides in them, and that faith is producing an obedience to God. And not just among the Jews, but particularly now, Paul says, the Gentiles, that's nations should be translated Gentiles there. And there's God's plan. And then the big question, why does he do that that way? And his answer is, for the sake of his name being glorified. That was last week. He's not done with the sentence. He continues on in verse 6. Including you, or literal, here's the literal translation. Gentiles, yeah. Now, among whom, that whom there is referring back to Gentiles. So, among whom you, particularly now, Gentile Christians in Rome, you are also called of Jesus Christ, or called to Him, or called to belong to Him. Okay, if you are not apt to pay close attention to the New Testament. In other words, to pay attention to its actual wording throughout, then that may sound like a very strange way to refer to Christians. And he does it again in verse 7. Pick it up, we'll go through verse 6 again, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome, well, not really, because he's not writing to everybody in Rome, so he's going to define what he means of those persons in Rome. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So here he addresses the believers here, not as those who were active in their salvation, but here, those who were passive. You were called. You Christians in Rome are among those people who hear the gospel. You come to faith in Jesus. That faith has changed your life. It's producing obedience of faith to God. Because you have been called by another to do so. And he says, you are uniquely loved by God. You're called to be saints. He set you apart for himself. So, that's our question this morning. What does that mean? Called. 
So as we look at our, our text here, if we were, were not allowed to go anywhere outside this salutation, these verses, period, and that's all you got, at that point, I can see two possible meanings or options of what it means. The first would mean, well, look, what he means is this. Everybody in the world is called to belong to Jesus Christ. They're all called. Come, be a saint. Every human being is loved by God. In other words, the first option would be, there's no distinction between those who will perish and those who will be eternally saved. No distinction between those who will come to faith and those who won't. Because everybody is called. That's option one. Now sticking with option one. Now, now obviously in the context he's addressing Christians in particular. So you would, have to, you would add this assumption to it. That what he's doing is referring to those persons in Rome who by their autonomous will or action changed their own hearts and answered the call. Yes. And brought themselves to faith. That's option one. The other option is that the people who get changed by the gospel are those who are loved by God, evidenced by His calling them to faith in Jesus. Now, that's only if you look there. But we don't stop there. If you take into account the way that that word, called, is used throughout the rest of the Apostle Paul's writings in the New Testament, and other New Testament books, then he has to mean the second option. He has to mean God's call, which creates what he calls for. And that's saving faith. So, let's go and look. To start, let's just stay right within this letter of Paul's to the Romans. Turn over to chapter 8. I'm going to read Romans 8, verses 28 to 30. Slowly, let's meditate, think about the words in their context. We know that for those who love God... All things work together for good. That is, who? For those who are called according to His purpose. Alright, that, that didn't solve anything yet. But He goes on and He defines His terms. For those whom He foreknew... He also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He, His Son, might be the firstborn resurrected from the dead among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Every one of them. Notice, all of the called are justified. Now, if he meant option number one, we'd have to insert that idea in there. In other words, that every human being is called to Jesus. Well, then it would mean every sinner, every human being will be saved, will be justified. Because it would mean those whom he called, that is every person who, at least let's just narrow it to this then, hears this gospel, every person who gets to hear the gospel are called, therefore he also justified them. They're all made right before God. Their sins have been forgiven and righteousness has been imputed to them. That's, that's what it, Paul argues in Romans, what justification is, or to be justified by God. It would mean every human being will be saved. But if you know your New Testament, you know that's clearly not what Paul thinks. Now, this is Romans 8, and if you've been a Christian for at least a year, you probably should know the basic structure of Romans and you know what he does in chapters 3, 4, and 5. It's all about making crystal clear that no sinner, which is everybody, no human being, Jew or Gentile, is justified by God any other way then they're coming to faith in Jesus. We are justified by faith apart from any of our obedience or works of the law. He's made that crystal clear. You can't be justified if you don't have that action coming from your heart called faith. I believe. Yes. Now you come to chapter 8, and in verse 30, he doesn't mention faith. But he says, those persons who are, this other word, called, he also justified. Which has to logically mean that Every called person comes to faith in Jesus Christ in order to be justified. And therefore, the called here 
cannot refer to what we would call the general call of evangelism. Where Billy Graham calls people to believe. Where Bob and those who work the evangelism table tell them the gospel. What must I do to be saved? The same answer Paul gave. Believe! There, there, there it is. There's a call. That's the general call of evangelism. He can't mean that kind of a call here. Because we all know. Some do believe. And some don't. There they all believe. Because they're all justified. So this must mean, in Romans 8, God's not general call that He gives through us, but personally, by His own Spirit, the effectual call. Which means, when God calls, that call creates in the sinner what He calls for. Faith to be justified. Every single person who is called like that comes to faith and is saved. Let Paul define his own terms. He does there in Romans 8. So when we go back to our text in chapter 1, and this is the salutation, the greeting, and we saw it is, it is chock full, more than any of his other opening sections of his letters, of rich, deep theology. And so when he says, including you, Christians there in Rome, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He has defined his term in this letter for us. Now, let's go to another book. Just flip over to the very next book in the New Testament. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. Because there, what he does is he illustrates this all for us. And we'll see here, and what he does is that the general call is there, and then he'll go to the other call, the effectual call, starting with verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, meaning he preaches the gospel. That God's Son, it's about His Son, who came, suffered and died as a substitutionary sacrifice for sin, bearing God's judgment against that sin and removing it. And God raised Him from the dead. And if you believe, you will be saved. If you just come to Him, you will be saved. He preaches. So here He is. He goes off into His missions. We preach Christ crucified. In the general call. And he says, here's the result. That message is a stumbling block to Jews. And it's foolishness to non-Jews. To Gentiles. Nobody believes. And then comes his word. The next word. 
But, but to those who are called among both Jews and Greeks, the effectual call, something happens. To them, the message is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. They see it for what it is because they're called. So as sinners in which we all are and born into this world that way, if we're left to ourselves, we in this room, nor anybody else in the entire world would never respond to the message of God's love through Jesus Christ with a heart of faith. Because we're all born with sin natures. We're darkened. We are dead to God. Zero desire to submit to Him. We live by the deception of Satan the serpent. I will be like. Do you remember how Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2? Turn there. In Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, Paul writes, And you, so now he's talking, he's talking to Christians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, okay, in other words, before we were called, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. Just stop for, for a second. We'll continue in a moment, but just stop. So there, there you are. So picture what Paul just said. Then, now that's our state. Someone comes, they preach the gospel to us, or we're raised like in my family, a Christian family. Or you hear the gospel the first time when you're 40. Doesn't matter. So the gospel comes, and your natural response can only be to stumble if you're a Jew and reject it. Or just, well, kind of silly, really. A, a dead man comes back to immortal life and he's the creator of the universe. Okay, terrific. If it works for you, I'm glad you got a religion. And they move on your way. And then in that state, we will forever remain children of God's justice, which means wrath. Unless, along with the hearing of the good news of Jesus, something supernatural happens to us by the hand of another. But to those who are called Christ, the power of God, 
and the wisdom of God. Now back to where we left off there, if you're Ephesians 2. The end of verse 3. We were by nature children of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Now here comes the call. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Did you pause? Back to our text in Romans 1. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. Verse 7, Romans 1. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That there is not a general love for all mankind. It's the particular saving love of those whom God has chosen to call to belong to Jesus Christ. Back to Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Watch, that's prior. Which causes something. Because of that love he had for you, believer. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Still rejecting him. Spurning him. He, from that love, But God made us alive together with Christ. In other words, he called us, called us to come alive. And the call brought about what he called for. He called us by the Holy Spirit. Call brought us to life. If you want an analogy, it is an analogy. We're talking about spiritual life here. But go to Jesus outside the tomb of Lazarus. And a physical mortal body of Lazarus is dead. And Jesus does what? He calls him. Lazarus, come forth. Now, Jesus wasn't stupid. He wasn't thinking, well, maybe in his deadness, somehow there's something about his eardrum and brain waves that are still working that he might hear my voice and those sound waves hit it. Not the point. Like when a mom wakes up a kid in the morning. Jesus is saying, come, caused Lazarus to come from his mortal death back to mortal life.
And as a result of that call, what happens? We who are called, call upon the name of the Lord. And we're saved. And so right there in Ephesians 2, Paul goes on just for a second. And he says to these Christians, or to any of us Christians, and he says, look back. Whatever your testimony is, maybe you don't even, maybe you were saved at an early age and you have any kind of like, well, I don't, I just I've loved him. And it's proven the way you love him now. Or maybe you had some kind of dramatic adult experience. But it doesn't matter. Either, either way, he says, look what happened to you at how you got saved. Those famous verses right there, verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, okay, pause. That English word this is representing the Greek demonstrative pronoun. In the original, that pronoun is neuter. And you look at pronouns, come on, you know, if you know language, right? You, what you got to look for is antecedent. What is it referring back to, right? What's the this? Well, the word grace, for by grace you have been. See, grace is it's feminine. And the pronoun is supposed to agree. But faith is also feminine. So what he's doing by using the neuter is saying, the whole ball of wax. That whole thing is one piece. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that whole thing is not your own doing. Even your faith. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. When you realize that, it gets to this goal, so that no one will boast. Well, look at me. I'm smarter than my brother or my sister or my high school friend because I heard the gospel and I, came, I brought myself to faith. I must be smarter. I recognize the truth of all reality. <laughs> when we think that, we need to renew our mind with the truth of what the scriptures teach us about what happened. And so here we have Paul. He preaches, he preaches the gospel of God's Son, shedding his own blood in order to bring about the new covenant, which was foretold by Jeremiah the prophet. Turn to Jeremiah, chapter 31. Starting with verse 31. 600 years before Jesus was born, we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant. The Mosaic covenant under Moses. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. As a whole. 
All the Jews, naturally, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, the 12 tribes, they're in covenant with God. It's called the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant. And the vast majority of them constantly spurned God, broke the covenant because the vast majority of them were not born again had not been called to new life, a life of faith, only a remnant. And thus, they could only break the old covenant. I'm making a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with them, the old one, which they broke. Verse 33 now. For this is the covenant, here's the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, not merely sitting outside of them on stone tablets. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord. Not in this covenant. Why? Because they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin. No more. Jesus purchased these promises with his wrath bearing and removing substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. That's why, towards the end of this service, those of us who are baptized believers in Jesus are going to partake of holy communion. Where Jesus declared, this is the blood, my blood, of the new covenant. And he did it. And what that means is this. If Jesus did that for you. Even though you are dead in your sins. Before you were ever born. If Jesus accomplished that for you. God was reconciled to you. Judgment. Justice. Condemnation. His wrath was removed. And he only had blood bought mercy toward you. Say that differently. The love with which he loved you. And then that love at some point in your life reaches out and, and does to you what you desperately he needed to be changed from the inside out. 
so that you, so that we would love the truth of Jesus in the message that is preached to us and who He is. And so we hear the gospel and with the gospel hearing, God acts by the Holy Spirit. And He writes it, as Jeremiah would say, upon our hearts. And when that happens, we cannot help but say, yes! And some of us had friends, I mean, you believe that? Yes! That's the greatest possible news I've ever heard as a 19-year-old. I love you, Lord Jesus. Why? But God made us alive together with Christ. But to those who are called, Christ to them is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus did not die for your sins just so that if somehow you can raise yourself from spiritual death to spiritual life and cause yourself to come to faith. He went to the cross and He purchased your new birth which causes Saving faith. He purchased the effectual call. Jeremiah, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And thus, as a result, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother say, Know the Lord, because they shall all know me. Everyone who is in the new covenant bought by Jesus Christ in his sacrifice on the cross is a believer because the new covenant itself purchased their change from unbelief to faith. One more text. Turn to Romans. I mean, Hebrews. Chapter 9. And in this context, the Hebrew writer had just quoted Jeremiah 31 extensively. That whole passage we just read, he quoted that whole thing. Then he says this in Hebrews 9, verse 12. Jesus entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay, as we pause for a moment. The resurrected Jesus, as Paul says, and declared Son of God by His resurrection from the dead with all power. There He is. So, that all-powerful Jesus, he says here, is the mediator now of that promised covenant of Jeremiah. Why? So that what was promised, the covenant, would actually happen. It would be enacted, which includes not only Jesus putting away our sins by the sacrifice of himself, but he is the mediator ongoingly, which means then, after that, Going 
and getting those for whom he died. In order to write upon their hearts. In order to change their hearts. In order to bring them to God. Or, or Ezekiel's version of the new covenant I read earlier. But he, he will remove the heart of unbelief of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He'll put his spirit within you. Okay, so again, back to verse 15, Hebrews. Let's finish the verse. I didn't finish it. Notice the Holy Spirit's carrying along the writer to the Hebrews. The actual wording he chooses. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Well, that's like a lot of thinking this morning, Pastor Joe. Aren't you supposed to give an application? Here it is. Take this home with you. Believe the Bible. Th those words are not haphazard that we just read. They're not accidental. Neither were Peter's words when he said it just in different words in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his mercy. There it is again. His love, his mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Unto a living hope. One precedes the other. Just replace Peter's words. Caused us to be born again with called us. Who, according to his great mercy, has called us to a living hope. Made us alive. It's what we hope. A saving faith. So, as I close, let me just say this. You know, in life, there's lots of things that are true. There's billions of things that are true. Have you ever been around an FYI person all the time and just go, hey, but I don't care about most of that stuff. Okay, but it doesn't mean they're not true. So why is this significant? So here's the thing. It is one thing for something to be true. And God's loving, effectual call is true. Here's the question. Why does he tell us? Because it's another thing for God to choose to reveal that truth to us. Why does he do? The answer is because he wants Christians to know his love. To know the depth of his love and mercy. So that its roots would go deep down into our souls. So that you're a stronger tree that's going to withstand the storms of life. And so having said that, listen to these words that were not only true, 
But God had His Son Jesus say them. But not only had Him say them, made sure that His Apostle John recorded them for us. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose none of all those He has given me. But I will raise Him or her up on the last day. Is that you? Have you come to Him? Here, if you ha here, here's the gospel plea at the end of what you've heard now. If you do come to Jesus, if, if you call upon the name of the Lord, and, and it's you, you know that it's true, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And then you pause. And you look at what God wants to teach you. And then we learn. That's me. Because the Father gave me to Jesus. It means you're His because He died for you. He called you. He wants you to know He had a love for you that is more than anything you could have ever dreamed of. And that means that these closing words of Paul's salutation in the book of Romans, they are addressed personally to you. So hear them one last time as we are preparing our hearts to celebrate the blood new covenant shed for us who believe or will ever believe. You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome or California or Sovereign Grace Fellowship who are loved by God and called to be saints. Hear His words now. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.